turning over around about four million pound a year. Um, half of that's in America, half in the UK. Some of that's in France, Germany, Canada, Australia. I have been on a journey myself since I was, I'd say, my mid twenties. I used to think that I was normal and everyone else was weird. Talk to all my staff and go through the phones and go through their emails and see if I was messaging you asking for help. I asked no one for help. Hello and welcome to the UK Flying Podcast. This podcast is run and produced by Cockrell & Co. Now, if you're not sure what Cockrell & Co do, we run training courses and mentoring for businesses in the flooring industry from £100,000 turnover all the way up to £5 million. We also do retail consultancy and product sourcing and we work with some of the top and leading manufacturers to make sure you get the right price and the right product on time every time. Now sit back, enjoy the show. Don't forget to hit any subscribe buttons, follow buttons on social media and on the platform you're listening to. Enjoy the show, give us feedback and we love that you're taking the time to listen to the show. Welcome, Miles, to the UK Flooring Podcast. Let's put flooring to one side completely, but who's Miles Shaw, first of all? Um, who's Miles Shaw? Um, an absolute grafter, so that's incredibly committed, very loyal um, into his fitness, uh, into psychology. Yeah. Um, I've got a passion of uh, business um, outside of flooring, passion for... Uh, being a good family man, um, uh, being a good son, uh, being a good father, being a good husband, being a good friend. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always someone that tries to get better at anything that I do, and that can be um, sport, it can be business, it can be within my own life. Um, I'm looking out for my own mistakes so I can get better. Uh, I'm always wanting to learn. Uh, I'm always wanting to inspire others. Um, I'm 37. I spend a bit of time in schools um, and colleges trying to motivate because I understand that we're in a cycle of life and you've got to put back into the pot that we all took from. So um, as a rule of thumb, who is Miles? Um, that's I'm going to say, actually, I have been on a journey myself since I was, I'd say, my mid-20s. I used to think that I was normal and everyone else was weird. Um, and then as I've kind of got older, I realised, actually, I'm the weird one um, and I need to understand it. And if I can understand me better and master me, then I can probably live a happier life and a better life. So outside of flooring and within flooring, I'm just constantly looking at the the areas of improvement everywhere. I love that. And how did you, where did it all begin with flooring? How how did you stumble into flooring? And, and, and then if you can project all the way through how it looks now, because I mean, I've done very, very quick research just by your LinkedIn um, title. It looks like you're spinning more plates than me. Um, so, yeah, give me a bit on the journey. Um, maybe not the, the full version because we'll dig into that a bit, but give me where it started and where it is now. All right, well, it started because that's where I grew up. Um, it was my playground. Um, it was all I ever did growing up. Um, I was either at school, I was at home, I was in a carpet shop. Um right. For me, it was my uh, it was my father's business. Um, before him, it was my uh, grandfather and great uncle. Uh, 1945, my father took over in 1975. I've got five brothers. Uh, my mom and dad worked. So, typical uh, uh, child from a family-run business. Um, uh, we we actually used to have a nanny, and uh, the nannies at times would 
uh, complain about a certain child that was quite naughty and that was me. Um, so whilst my brothers were, let's say, uh, be looked after by the nanny, I'd be spending my time after school or some holidays, I'd be in the carpet shop. So that is literally where it started. And even speaking to you now, um, that's very much still the same boy that I am. Um, I'm just a boy that grew up in a carpet shop and I've seen my father work really hard and I've seen a lot of mistakes being made. And I've heard about a lot of stories um, and basically I've carried all of that with me to this day and I'll carry that till the very end. So that's where it all begun. Um, and then where it all began for me, um, I actually didn't want to go into the flooring business at all. Um, I saw my brothers do it. I saw it as a bit of a, uh, it wasn't a failure. But I just saw it as a bit of a dropout. They either left school and went to work for my dad or they left college and went to work for my dad. And I thought, no, I want to do something different. I want to do something that I'm passionate about and that's space. So I wanted to be an astronaut. So I went to maths, I went to um, college and did maths, um, chemistry and physics at A-level standard. I also got a job at 16 years old at Sainsbury's and that was me done. All I wanted to do was be a store manager and 30 grand a year and have a job that means I could wear a shirt and tie. And then something happened at Sainsbury's when I was 18. I realized I was just a number. And I said to my dad, look, dad, I would like to go and uh, work in the family business. I was like, it's right though this time, it's my choice. He went, absolutely fine, not a problem. So I said to my dad, look, I want to go work for the family business. He went, yeah, it's absolutely fine. But what we're going to do is we're going to get you fitting first. So I went fitting for three months. And uh, I think within about a month and a half, I was fitting carpets. uh, So that was good. Um, I went fitting with my brother. My brother got taught by uh, a good old-fashioned skilled uh, floorway. And uh, obviously, I let off my brother. But I saw an awful lot of things in just those three months. In between those three months, my dad went out and had a mobile showroom as well. Uh, so I used to go out into customers' homes, and I'd actually be uh, there watching my dad plan it, and then obviously go through the whole sales process. And then I would then follow up maybe a week or two later, and I'd, I'd end up fitting the carpets with my brother. So I saw the whole journey from beginning to end. So... Um, my dad had said to me once he pulled up at a bungalow. I was only, um, actually, this is before. I've always worked for my dad, actually. But I can remember when I was 15, my dad said to me, "Why well, was at a bungalow. He said, help on a Saturday to earn 20 pounds. And uh, he went, right, I want to go in that bungalow and sell a vinyl. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. So I went to this bungalow, um, 15 years old, and I didn't get the sale. And my dad didn't care. What he cared about was the fact that I was able to get out of the van, knock on the door, suss the situation out, go back to the van, get the samples, go back in, go through the whole motions and walk away. So I've really had a, a good upbringing from a, a sales point of view, but I then um, went and worked in a shop with my father's and I was the number one salesperson from day one. Um, I've never sold anything before, ever. I didn't even know I was good at doing it. And then it was just, I was a natural. So I was number one salesperson. Um, and then that happened for around about nine months. So my dad was like, right, uh, yeah, I'm going to open another store and you're going to run it. I was like, perfect. By this time, I was nearly 20 years old. Um, so went to go run uh, another shop for my dad and uh, basically just carried on, just grafting and grafting and grafting. And um, I can remember once someone said to me, oh, are you 30 years old? I was like, incredibly offended thinking, do I really look like I'm 30? <laughs> and then I realized as time's gone on, it wasn't because of how I looked. It was because of how I acted. I was 20 years old and carried a hell of a lot of flooring knowledge um, with me at that age. And that's why I think people thought I was older than what I was. Uh, so I'd be selling to customers and he'd get the sale, which was fantastic, or I wouldn't get the sale. And boy, did I know about it. My dad would pull me up. The worst teacher you can ever have is your father. No doubt about it. And um, 
I don't mind as well because you know your father can be harder on you, especially an employer couldn't talk to me the way that your father does. So um, I just learned so, so much. Um, and then it took me all the way to 23 years old. I was working six days a week, uh, nine till five, running the store. We had, was in about half a million a year uh, in revenue. Uh, we had maybe two or three fitters. And uh, my wife and I had our first child. Um, so that wasn't planned. Uh, but then we was in a situation where we needed an extra £100 a week to make ends meet. So my father is already uh, a sort of guy that's told us, if you want something, get off your ass and go get it. And also we got taught about being loyal. So great, fantastic. So I knew I needed extra money. I knew that I couldn't ask my father for extra money because we was already a, a very small business. I was aware of the financial situation anyway. Uh, there was always my mum, my dad, me, my brother. Well, half a million a year isn't a lot. If you make a 200 grand gross profit, like by the time you paid everyone, there's not a lot left. So I was like, right, how can I find extra money? So I started selling stuff on eBay, like old stuff, and then that was kind of going okay. Uh, but then not really making a lot of money. Then I started selling SIM cards, uh, the typical SIM card that you pay a fiver for. I bought yeah. loads of them uh, really cheap, sold those, uh, made money, but then I would lose just one SIM card in the post, and that would wipe out all my profit for uh, 20 sales. So I ditched that. I realized I was busy full. And then I went on to selling car performance parts, but I don't know anything about cars mechanically, but I know how to drive them. And it was it wasn't a scam, but it was about three or four pounds. You could put like a resistor into the ECU of the car, and it made it tricks your engine to say that um, you were uh, basically the engine needed more more fuel. So it put more, more fuel in and give you more horsepower. Um, so anyway, um, I was selling loads of that. Um, I was making quite a lot of money to be fair, and uh, more money than my dad was paying me. Uh, and then I got kicked off eBay because uh, I was getting loads of negative feedback because it got sent with such complicated instructions. No one knew what to do with it. And a lot of people just gave positive feedback anyway, thinking it was them. Other people was like, no, it's a bit of a scam list. Gave me negative feedback. I thought eBay aren't going to kick me off. They're earning too much money from me, being uh, small-minded. Anyway, I got kicked off. I was like, right, that's pain. Right, I need to go legit now. What can I sell that I really know about? And I remember my dad's always said to me, you specialize in what you specialize in. That's number one rule. You have to specialize in what you specialize in. I was like, okay, fine. Right, you must be right, because your father's normally all right. So... What do I specialize in? Flooring. It's all I've ever known. I was like, okay, I know I need to sell online because I can't leave my father's business because uh, that's me for the future. I knew I had to sell something online. I knew I had to process the orders in the night time. And um, so that was it. That was my fundamentals, my non-negotiables. So I knew eBay really well. So I knew I had to sell on eBay. So I started looking at underlay. Other people were doing it and making very little. By the way, this is in 2000 and. 10 at the moment that we're talking. So underlay was already done. I didn't want to be a busy fool. Um, there was carpets already been done at the time. I think that's when uh, Flooring Superstore uh, started kicking off uh, Jason McGuire. Um, so uh, that was already been, that was being done really cheap already, so I stayed away from that. Um, then rugs were already being done, and again, quite a difficult one to go into, quite cheap. And I was like, right, I'll go into carpet fitting tools. But that's quite a niche. And to be fair, it was quite a niche, but then, just seemed like hard work, and I thought there's not that many carpet fitters. I know there is, but I just I wanted something for the mass market, for the general public. And I was just sat there thinking, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. Basically, uh, I can't do it. And I'm just staring there with this roll of carpet runner that, typically speaking, a woman, an older woman would come in with a shopper trolley and go, oh, excuse me, can I have three meters of that? I'd unroll it, measure it, chop it, charge it three quid a foot, put it into a shopper trolley, off she goes. Yeah. I thought, I wonder if anyone's selling that online. So I went to eBay and I searched like carpet runners, made to measure, nothing. 
I went to Amazon, nothing. I went to Google, which for what that was back in 2010, nothing. I was like, okay. So I knew that it was either a rubbish idea or no one had thought about it. I was like, well, the only way to find out is by finding out. So I rolled this carpet runner out on the floor. I took a picture of it with my uh, with my camera. I took my SD card out. I plugged it into my uh, first ever uh, small Samsung notebook, which I've still got somewhere in here, I think, actually. Um, put it on eBay, offered it in any length, and I sold a piece that night. I was like, oh, this is good. Uh, that was a bit of a fluke, though. Then I think I sold another piece that night as well. I was like, oh, great, for like 50 quid. The next day I sold another piece, and by the time that week was up, I'd sold the entire roll, which was worth like 450 quid worth of retail. I'd probably made about 250 quid worth of profit. I was like, oh, this is a great fluke. Hey, Dad, where are these rolls from? He's like, oh, from this place in Bradford. I was like, oh, brilliant. Can you get me some more, please? Yeah, yeah, fine. But hey, Dad, there's the uh, 70 quid for the roll, by the way, um, and uh, I'll pay the others when it comes in. Anyway, did that, sold them. Hey, Dad. Can you get some more? Yeah, fine. Hey, Dad, can you get the rep in? Yeah, rep came, came in. Right, so I've got more colors, more designs. Anyway, um, you can, I'll let you draw down on the story, but uh, we're now 13 years later. It's now the world's largest made-to-measure hole and stair carpet with a specialist, turning over around about £4 million a year. Um, half of that's in America, half in the UK. Some of that's in France, Germany, Canada, Australia. Um, we are absolutely flying under the brand called runrug.com. So that's R-U-N-R-U-G.com. Um, so that's basically the story of the Runrug brand. Um, is there any questions anyone dive into on that one? No, no I love that story. That's uh, that's brilliant. So it's uh, so that is a is that a standalone business that just you, you're shipping all around the world and from yeah. di- you know different colours and all that type of stuff. Yeah, so we've got over uh, 500 different varieties of hole and stair carpet runner. The truth is, a hole runner and a stair runner is the same product. It starts the same journey. And the only time it differs from a hole runner or stair runner is the customer decides to fit it on either a hallway or staircase. Um, so these are basically, we ship them. So if you order it, say, on a Monday, in the UK, you'll receive on a Tuesday. If you're in America, you'll receive it on the Wednesday. Uh, we've nailed the process down. Uh, we're scaling for growth. Uh, we're about to um, change runwood.com. The vision is to make it uh, basically a UK flooring brand, an independent retail flooring brand. I've got uh, so much experience and so much knowledge within the company, technical knowledge as well. With e-commerce, artificial intelligence, we are pushing very, very hard. I'm taking what's a traditional archaic uh, industry, which is flooring, and adding um, basically the next generation of knowledge to it because we are one of the very few industries where we don't move very quick. So you've got bakers, the fishing industry, and us. And typically speaking, what happens is you get um, a farmer that typically passes the um, the business down to their sons, for example, or daughters. Yeah. The truth is now, a lot of sons and daughters don't want to get involved, and nor do the fathers want them to get involved because retail is very, very difficult, and our industry is very, very hard, and it's changing and moving really quick. So therefore, there can't be, and there isn't many people like me, which are a third-generation leader, being in the business since today I was born, who's got an absolute passion for artificial intelligence, technology, and e-commerce, who's driving things forward and taking it to another level. Um, and that basically with Runrug, Runrug falls within a business which is called the Positive Co Limited. Yeah. So the Positive Co Limited trades as GCW, which stood for Grimsby Carpet Warehouse. You've yeah. got Runrug.com, which we've just explained. You've got Flooring Express, which is another retail store in the Grimsby area. You've got Ashens of Louth, which is another retail um, uh, outfit in uh, about 15 miles away from Grimsby. You've also got uh, the flooring discount warehouse, which is something that I opened 
uh, about six weeks ago uh, because of the way the market is right now. And then we've also got a new house build division supplying flooring obviously to the regional house builders. Uh, I did create a uh, commercial flooring division in 2017, built up to 1.6 million and shut it down in January of this year. Uh, quite simply, it wasn't making me happy. And uh, I won't go into the reasons unless I, uh, you can do, but I don't want to uh, take up obviously time where it's not needed. But um, employing, flooring is never the problem. Clients can at times be a problem, but when you become an employer, employing people can be the biggest problem very often is the biggest problem of any business it's not the product it's people yeah and um, so i've been on this journey where i've been trying to chase revenue and profits at one point at covid we employed 24 people shortly after covid we went to 73 people we was positively affected uh, by the by covid and uh, we grew massively to lots of market share and lots of opportunities came to us. When people shy away, we push forward. That's what we've always done. And we went to 73 people and we was probably going to get to 100. But then I realized that I had kept hearing about everyone's happiness and happiness and happiness and mental health. I was like, I've got no one to go to. Then Wednesday it's lonely at the top it is. I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to moan because I don't moan. My glass is half full always. But what I'll do, I'll start changing my life to make sure that actually I am happy. So I was like, right, commercial flooring, shut down, done. I was 100% happier the very moment I made that decision. So right now at the moment, it's not just about can we what can we get into. It needs to fall in line with our values, our morals, um, and our mission statement. Um, and the main thing that I'm trying to achieve with uh, the business is uh, continued growth, um, but most importantly, enjoying the journey. And the retail stores are they stand on to standard retail stores, but and do you get involved still in the in any form of selling, or have you got shop managers, or just give us a little bit of a you know as your main role, what are you doing day to day? Because and and how many staff have you got? Have you gone down that down now um, deliberately? You know what? How does that look now? Yeah, uh, I'm going to say that we took the business on a. Uh, a controlled nosedive. And if you was involved and on the inside, you didn't know what was going on, you'd have thought, holy fucking shit, this, this business is going down. And kind of, yeah, I kind of needed to do a nosedive just to kind of um, get the business back into where I needed it. Like, was was climbing too high. I didn't like the altitude, so I had to go back down again and maybe hope a few people fall out the plane. And then when I was ready, strike myself back in, we're going up. So uh, that's what's happened in the past 12 months. We're employing 43 people now. We've got a team of incredibly um, uh, hardworking, loyal individuals in the company. Um, I don't need everyone to be like me in the slightest, but what I do need is I need people to have a certain work ethic and have certain values. And if they, if you don't have the values, you don't have the work ethic, work ethic, I don't care how talented you are. If you don't have the right mindset for this business, you're out. Simple as that. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm massive on that one. Uh, if I had to work for someone else, I'd have to endure the pain of working with a colleague that maybe that I didn't want to work with. The way I see it within this business is we're a team. And if you have any weak individuals within that team, we are never going to be as successful as what we would be is if we had the same sort of mindset. So I don't care about the skill set first, it's mindset. Um, in terms of my position within the company, up until about six weeks ago, I was exactly the managing director that I thought I needed to be. I would be working from home, which is where I am now. I'd be um, waking up in the morning. 
I'd have a nice kind of chilled morning, to be fair. I'd go to the gym. I've had some business coaching and life coaching for the past three years. Um, and one of the things my life coach said, what's your perfect day? So I told him, and he goes, and why aren't you doing it? I was like, I don't know. He went, well, who's in charge? I went, me. He went, why aren't you doing it? I went, I don't know. He said, we'll start doing it then. I was like, okay. So my routine was built around me. And that involved going to the gym, taking kids to school, to school, going to the gym in the morning, going back into office at about 11 o'clock, working and working and working as I need, looking at every single division, uh, looking for, uh, do a complete SWOT analysis, looking at our strengths, our weaknesses, our opportunities, our threats, um, really just using my creative vision to to take us as to where's next um, or where can we be leaner? What can we do different? Look at our marketing. Um, I generally speak, I've always done our marketing since 2014. Um, and when I say marketing, that's from the retail stores. That's not our digital marketing on Brunrug. That's something different. Um, so I stopped being a salesperson probably around about 2018. I spent five years on the business. COVID was obviously where I had to, that was my make or break moment as a third generation leader. I was even going to break the business or make the business. So I've made it. Um, and we then uh, obviously got to a point where uh, COVID was a, a real big deal. Um, and then you then had, uh, I know I'm waffling a bit, but just bear with me. Uh, my mum uh, got a severe brain cancer uh, in um, April 2021. Um, and that really hit me hard because I was like, okay, I've got COVID. And we nailed that. At one point, I furloughed all, uh, all my staff and I was alone. I was sat there alone, not knowing what to do. I was so scared that the furlough police afterwards would go and talk to all my staff and go through the phones and go through their emails and see if I was messaging or asking for help. I asked no one for help. I was on my own. I, I yeah. furloughed everyone. My brothers, the lot. Um, I think my mum and dad was even furloughed. Um, so like, it hit me really hard, COVID. Although I absolutely did a sterling job, in my opinion, um, we uh, it definitely took a piece out of me. So I started a new year thinking, great, 2021, that's the year I build myself back and get a bit of time for me. Then my mum got really ill. Um, I'm a bit of a rescuer in terms of personality. Um, so I took it upon myself because uh, I had the freedom to help my mum and get sorted. Uh, she's fine now, so happy to say. Um, but it was definitely a, a, a very uh, testing time for me um, and my family uh, and my mum as well. But um, I came out of that. I was like, right, let's go again. Um, and then that's where I started to talk towards commercial shutting that down. So I did all the things that an MD should do. And then I created a business based on uh, market sentiment, based on understanding the retail market, knowing things are hard. Things are difficult for our industry, in my opinion, April 2023. Things just stopped. January, February, March was okay. April, terrible. It was terrible in May, June, July, August. We was cutting our costs left, right, and center, making some redundancies, leaning up. Yeah, taking our stock holding down from maybe 800 grand to like half a million. We tried to liquidate stock to you know generate cash flow. Um, and uh, was it, uh, we, we, could, we spoke to suppliers, made them aware that uh, you know, things are difficult, but you know we always believe a slow pay is better than a no payer. Our relationships have uh, spanned decades long, so I've always made sure that I've been incredibly honest with suppliers, always will be. Um, so I came on holiday. I had a five-week holiday, which was all planned in, which was lovely, by the way. Probably the best five weeks I've ever had, although it's quite crazy. Um, and I decided that this building that we had that was um, costing 75 grand a year, I thought, right, let me see if I can uh, market this. So we did that in about May time. 
It was like May, uh, June, July, August, four months, no one had taken the, the building. I was like, right, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm told. I can create something out of nothing. I know flooring. I know retail. I know marketing. I know the market. I know sentiment's low. The cost of living has gone up. I tell you, I'm going to create a flooring discount warehouse. That's what I created. But this time, with a difference. I was going to create a business without extending our overheads by a penny. So since my wife, um, so I, I believe I suffer with SAT syndrome. Uh, the uh, you know, SAT syndrome is a seasonal uh, affecting disorder. So uh, in the summer, spring and summer, I am outdoors all day, every day. I'm an outdoorsy guy. I run, I paddleboard, uh, you name it. I utilize every bit of sunlight. I, I see the sun come up, I see the sun go down. Yeah. And then when it goes to the winter, it's a cycle that I do. I just go into the trenches and I graft my ass off. Uh, I don't have any social life, really. I don't really do much sport or, uh, or activities outside. And I um, said to my wife, I was like, right, I've got a new challenge. I'm going to open it. I'm going to be the person that's doing the selling. I'm going to move my um, home office into the office at this building where I can see everything. When a customer comes in, I will sell to them. And when they're not in, I will do my ND role. Perfect. We're not having any fitters. We're not having any phone line. I'm having no email address. I'm having no staff. I'm having no crazy marketing, no vans, nothing. So all the things I've just said to you now, you'd say, you're going to fail. You can't possibly run a, a business the way you're saying to do it. And I was like, all right, well, and everyone told me that it wouldn't work. Um, my father even said, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, my father also told me, by the way, not to create my online business, it wouldn't work. Four million pounds later, it's working. So, um, it's uh, I I normally use a barometer. but that says don't do something. I normally do it. Um, but yeah, we've got a really good relationship, and I do value all the things. Even when I said this to my dad the other day, I'm going to miss you when you're, you're not here, dad, because who am I going to have to uh, challenge me about what won't work? Like I, I get that extra drive from people saying me that I can say that I can't do something, and it makes me even more determined than what I actually was. So, in the the very short answer to the question that you asked me uh, ten minutes ago was. I'm now basically a carpet salesman. That's why I'm a salesperson. But what I'm doing is that it's worked so well. We've got uh, three retail stores, an online website. We've got a stock holding of over five million, uh, five hundred thousand pounds. Sorry, um, we've got um, the most ridiculous amount of remnants and roll ends, which is insane. And I was like, right, okay, I can already stock this place without having to buy anything. So I just took all the remnants that we had, which is about three or 400. And uh, we've got loads of slow-moving rolls that I had chopped up into remnants as well. We already had underlay, already had gripper, door bars, accessories, already had laminate. So I just moved it from one warehouse into the other and uh, started the the, the marketing. Um, and uh, it, it, this isn't necessarily impressive, but uh, over the past six weeks since being open, we've done about 80 grand's worth of revenue. Now, that's in a market where... Uh, apparently it's dead. Um, that's where there's no overhead. They're, all the stock that we've sold is stock that we've actually had anyway. We're making unbelievable margins. Um, and that's as well as the other stores. So I am. I would say right now my official title is as I'm a player manager. I have my ear to the ground um, on the sales floor, so I've been today. And then in between that, I'm also doing my work. I've got a really good PA as well. That, that helps me in the meantime. Um, so she's been with me for the past year. So I'm still able to achieve the MD role. But if I'm being honest with you, am I as good right now? Um, 
if I can be honest with myself, I think I'm probably better. I think I'm better because I'm I'm not so honest because my only role was to look at improvement. Whereas actually, I'm 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 actually not. Sometimes it's quite hard when you're an MD. You don't have a job role, and uh, you try and find work for yourself. And a lot of employees do this as well. When you've got a job role, when you're not that busy, you try and create your own workload, which is actually good, but also not. So if I started sending out thirty emails in a day, asking questions and poking around here and there, I'd get then thirty replies back. But I probably wouldn't actually. I'd probably get fifteen. I'd have to chase them with fifteen people. Then I'd realise that person's pissing me off. What the hell's going on? Why aren't you getting back to me? That's a whole other problem. So yeah, I think we're. I am in a good place. The business is in a good place. Uh, retail is scary. The climate is awful right now. I feel sorry for a lot of uh, retailers. I feel sorry for potentially us as well. Um, I'm a. I study our industry a lot, um, an awful lot. Um, I've been. I've had the absolute pleasure um, over the past five years. Uh, not wanting to name drop or anything, but um, my job as a, a young uh, fledgling entrepreneur is to uh, be a sponge and look at those that have walked before me in the flooring industry and see what I could suck from them. So I've had the benefit of meeting uh, Tony Brewer numerous times uh, from Likewise. Um, I've met Chris Payne, CEO of Headlam, numerous times. Uh, Will Walsh, numerous times, uh, the ex-CEO of Carpet, right? He's now retired. Jason McGuire, the owner of uh, French Flooring and the, the UK's largest online flooring company. Um, so I, like, I am keeping my ear to the ground and watching what everyone's going on, looking at the wholesalers, looking at what, what their next move is. Um, you know, we know there's direct to, um, uh, direct to consumer. Uh, that's something that all wholesalers are doing across the world. Um, but it's happening at different stages. So direct-to-consumer in the electrical goods, that happened years ago. So you've got Dyson, you've got Sony, and direct-to-consumer in other industries, which are archaic, again, go back to flooring, that's obviously naturally going to be slow. So that's definitely going to happen. So, uh, yeah, at 37 years old, I would like to say that um, I'm, I think I'm well-situated to uh, box quite cleverly in what might happen in the flooring industry. I love that. Love that. I think yeah, and I, I thought about four questions, and you answered them without me answering them. Yeah, so, I'm psychic. Uh, so the the question that I'd like to know um, was it's a bit double barreled. Um, one, what's your morning routine look like? And two, apart from life coach, business coach, and hiring a PA, what else do you do to help you operate at a higher level in general? Okay, so do you want my day to day right now how it looks? Yeah, so, so there, what, what does your morning routine look okay. like to get the absolute maximum out of miles? All right, my alarm goes off at 10 past six. I spend about two, three minutes on my phone. I get out of bed. I've got my gym bag already, my gym bag already packed from the night before. Um, I um, leave the house by 20 past. I pick up my nephew, go to the gym. I do about 20 minutes worth of cardio. Five, 10 minutes worth of weights, sauna, steam room, shower, out, back home for about 7.45, um, have breakfast quickly, spend about two, three minutes with my family, um, get ready, take my daughter to school. Uh, that's about 10 past eight. But then I head to work and then I get to work around about a quarter to nine. That's my morning routine. And by the time I'm there, I am on point. Um, fitness has always been... Uh, at the core of uh, me and um, running. So I, uh, you might find it's funny. I used to, uh, when I first got into business, um, when I was 23, 
I'd owe like three thousand pounds. Um and I never knew I always I always thought for about two years it was a fluke, these run recorders coming in. And then I couldn't handle it. I could owe I owed three thousand pounds. And then I went for a run and I came back and I thought, no, I'm not bothered anymore. That was still bothered, obviously. I still care about it, but like that worry was almost like it taking a back seat. Yeah. I was like, oh great. And then I owed more money as we got bigger because my dad's always said, the more money you owe, uh, the more the more revenue you must be doing. So never look to not owe money. That's fine. The issue is if you can't pay the money. So I owed more money because I was doing more revenue, ordering more stock. So I had to run further. I got up to half marathons. I was like running. I was like, this is beyond a joke. Um, so I, I know now, like, if I stay on top of my running and my cardio, um, then I will not only feel good, but I'll look good. And I never go to the gym to get a good body. I go to the gym to feel good. And the byproduct of that is a better physique. One of my old coaches, um, I remember when he, let's say, used to bang on and it didn't quite click to, to start with where it was like, you are completely in control of how you feel. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds great on an Instagram post and all this type of stuff. And very similar to yourself. When you, when a lot of people, when they have a bad day or they're stressed or whatever, they resort to other things to, let's say, suppress that, that feeling, like alcohol, drugs, or, or whatever it is. But then if you put, you know, you come and you have a really stressful day and go for a run and you put a little bit of effort into that, the uplifting, I don't know the technology by it, but the uplifting endorphins, suddenly yeah. you're then removing this feeling that you felt, let's say, 30 minutes ago. Um, and it's like, well, actually, yeah, you are in complete control. Yes, sometimes it might take over a little bit more, but you can also fuel the fire with the wrong thing. And when it actually clicked, it's like you are completely in control. If you want to feel different, well, put that first before work. And some people say, no, I'll just go to work and I'll feel better once I've earned the money. Well, no, if you put tip responsibility of how you feel first it's 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 not witchcraft but it's it's kind of once you understand that and actually i won't even say believe it just understand it that you're in control of that that that's when i think everything shifts it's um, knowledge out on because it's about everything's about education and um you there's almost like there's a blueprint to be successful in life and um, when i talk about being successful i'm not talking about money Money is not success. How you feel is success. So for me, there was a blueprint to feeling successful. I could be in a cardboard box, and I promise you I will feel success. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, that's why I know I'll never get too high in the highs, never get too low in the lows. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, as a business now, we're nearly, uh, we're forecast to do 8 million net revenue this year um, uh, from half a million in 2010. So um, for me, uh, people come to go, oh, you do really well in your, you must be like you do very well. You're very successful. I'm like, well, I don't feel it. Not in that sense. I do feel it in a personal sense, but not in the business sense. I don't feel successful at all in the business sense. And um, I couldn't be further away from feeling successful. I am. I am. Uh, I've only scratched the surface of where I want to take the company. So how can I feel successful when I feel I'm at the start of the journey still? Um, but I believe it's. I know it's about perception. Just also as well. Um, something I say to my father. Um, he's been the best teacher I've ever had. Because it's not what he's shown me to do. It's what I've witnessed about what not to do. So he's also always been stressed. Stress can lead to depression. Um, my dad's always worked very hard. He's never had time to go to the gym. He had six children. Um, he had a busy, busy life. He never had technology at his fingertips. He'd be up till three, four in the morning making adverts. 
um, literally by hand, having it the next day to uh, the the, um, the editors who would then make it and then send the proof and print the paper the following day. Um, it put posts on the windows like, I understand that because I've got technology and I've got my brothers as well, which is a big thing. Um, because you mentioned before about how's the structure look, which I'll go into in a second, remind me on this one. Um, but technology should be used to improve your life. But what happens is people use technology, the thing to improve their life, but it doesn't improve it at all. So technology is never the problem. It's a problem when you don't utilize it to benefit your life. That's how it should be. So I'm now blessed where I can be in the gym, I can be on my phone. I, can, I do a lot of my social posts when I'm on the treadmill. I won't go for a run, I'll decide to go for a walk. Um, but in terms of the fitness side, I've just seen that with my father. He never works out and he never really managed too well with, let's say, the the stresses of business and life in itself. And he's, he's had lots of knocks over a 44-year career, which you can expect anyone would do. Um, and he's bounced back a lot. But, um, yeah, for me, the fitness, I believe, um, is key to anybody. I don't – I always avoid drinking alcohol. I do drink alcohol, but I avoid it. And what I mean by that is um, I come home, I have a busy day, I flip the kettle on and make a coffee. Um, if it's on a Saturday and me and my wife are at home, I, I just we'll just live a normal life like we do Monday to Friday, I don't drink. Now, if it was your birthday, Tom, and you might invite me, then great, I'll have a beer with you, we'll drink, and it goes where it goes. Um, and uh, But that's that's my choice. And then in terms of the food, I'm careful, I'm not amazing, but I'm okay. And I think, again, you are what you eat. Uh, Sleep-wise, you need to have good sleep, a good seven hours at least. Um, I stay off social media. I don't look at anyone's negativity. I don't need it. People have drama. I stay away from drama. If you've got negativity or drama, with respect, I might love you. I keep away from you. It's, it's a kryptonite to my positivity, hence the name The Positive Co. It was I Am Exploring, which stood for Ivor Miles Shaw, which is my father and myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted something that meant something to the people, and therefore I wanted something that meant something to me. And I'm incredibly positive. Even when it's negative, I look for a positive outcome. So luckily enough for me, I went to get a new limited company. And I thought, do you know what? I'll just type in the word positive. Obviously, it'll be taken. I know it'll be taken, but stuff it. Let's do it. Anyway, it, about a month late, a month earlier, someone had uh, dissolved it um, or expired or whatever. So I, I registered positive limited. I was like, amazing. But then it didn't roll off the tongue very well. Where do you work? Positive Limited. So I was like, right, let's change it to the and co, which are non-descriptive words. So the Positive Co. Um, and that is so important to me. And the logo, it's got a tick. And the reason why it's got a tick, within a sort of change of V into a tick, is because I don't always get it right, but I always try to get it right. And that's the difference. Um, and just regarding the question you came back to before about my structure, is I have got five brothers. Two of them are in the business. Uh, they've had the same journey that I've had. One's a few years younger than me. One's a few years older than me. Um, they look after the retail stores as well as me. Uh, I've also got a uh, a brother from another mother, a family friend over the past uh, on my uh, so probably sixteen years, um, and incredibly trustworthy and honourable. Um, uh, we've been a director of a company. Uh, his name is Paul, and he looks after the commerce side. Um, as well as assisting us all. So we've got, from a director point of view, there's me, there's my brother Harvey, there's Andre, and there's Paul. My father is still a director, but um, a silent director. Um, more of a, just a, a shareholder, really, uh, but with the director title. 
Uh, and then we have a HR division with a couple of people. The reason why I've got HR and I've kept two people there is because we could probably do without maybe one of them or maybe we could ourselves. The problem is, is go back to that negativity drama. People always have problems. More people, more problems. As simple as that. And I acknowledge that people have problems and I'm there for them completely. But if I'm there to hear about the problems of whatever that it may be, I can't give that positive vibe and energy that I need to give within the company. So, And that's the same with my brothers as well. So it's really important to me to have a separate in-house HR division that are constantly going around and looking at – so one that looks at performance and one that looks at people. And I know they're both the same thing, but one's a case of, okay, right, so looking at the job role, how can we make your job role better? What equipment do you need? Um, tell me the good bits and the bad bits and kind of blah, 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 blah. The other person's focusing on more of the one-to-ones, making sure that the welfare is okay. Um, and I found that's a really important part of our business – because ultimately the culture is born out of people. And it's okay you throw money at a company saying, okay, great, there's a there's a great car, or you know, there's some parties, summer party, Christmas party, Christmas bonus, blah, blah, blah. Like people just take, 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 take. And the truth is what people crave more than anything is to enjoy going to work. So if you think that buying them lunches and you think about having pool tables and you think that giving them cars or pay rises or bonuses or incentives makes a culture, it doesn't. That's only about 10% of what actually makes them happy. What they want to know is they want to know, are they cared for? Are they in a secure job? Are they in a safe environment? Do they like their colleagues? Do their employees value them? And uh, the only way that an employee can know that if they if we value them isn't by me telling them because I'm busy. I can't tell them, give them an arm around, the, uh, put an arm around them. I need uh, to show it in our actions. So if you say you have a problem, we will put it right for you. If you say that actually this isn't happening and we said we was, we will put it right for you. And I want them to know so hopefully they see the actions that we value, that we care for them because we want them to come to work and enjoy what they do. So if there's any friction in their job role whatsoever, uh, I remove it. For example, uh, rather than having carpets on the floor, uh, we have them in racking. So we've got 100 grand worth of racking in our 30,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, rather than having one forklift, we've got two forklifts in case one breaks. We've got rather than having the guys... Uh, wrap them in polythene, the runners, we have a heat tunnel and we've got two in case one breaks. Uh, we've got a, an auto five meter cutting machine. Um, we've got a EPOS system, a warehouse management system, which is on enterprise level, which is ridiculous. We've got project management tools running throughout the company. Um, we've got a great mess area for the guys where they do have the, the breakout areas where they're not just sat in the kitchen. Um, we do give them one-to-ones uh, regularly every uh, quarter. Um, and we do value them as well as the uh, the Christmas side of things um, and also uh, summer parties and events, blah, 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 blah. So I would like to think that my job isn't really, yeah, the sales person. Selling is a job for me because I've got the gift of the gab, so I'm told, and it just comes naturally. So selling is dead easy. The way I see it is I go out of my office, I talk to people for five, 10 minutes, they pay me money, it goes in the till, and I sit down and do my work again. For me, that's not a job. Uh, my job starts when I sit down, but my real job is to be a damn good employer, take this business into the next generation. And the biggest project for me right now is project next generation. So I've got my niece and I've got my nephew who's 17 and 19 working in the business. I've got my children that come to work with me on Saturdays and they choose to. They do marketing videos for us as well. If you've got our social media, you'll see that. Um, for me, I'm 37. So my plan is when I'm 50, my two children that are currently 10 and 13, 
they're going to be uh, 26 and 23. And I don't know if they're going to be in the business or not, but I do know for sure that this business will be passed on to the fourth generation. So we'd have gone, I would have taken it from half a million to uh, at least 10 million. Uh, that's for the next two years. So in 2016, I think it was, or 2015, um, the Grimsby Telegraph, they did a story on me and said, right, where do you want to go moving forward? Yeah, what's your ambition? What's your target? I was like, my target is to take us to 10 million pound a year as a business. And we was only doing about maybe 2 million at the time. And he must have thought you were absolutely mental and he'd be right as well. Um, but I kept my head down. And then I, and at the time as well, I didn't know anything about business. I thought I did, but I didn't really. Um, and then as I've grown the business, my uh, my lack of knowledge has been a weakness. And um, I've been exposed basically in certain areas, which have been quite costly. One of them is business and one of them is finance. Um, and that's caused problems along the way. And I've had to negotiate around them and, uh, as my business coach says, uh, he says, uh, private education is expensive. And that's what I'm in right now. Private education, where I am um, working on the job and learning on the job and making my own mistakes. Um, so I believe that we will be within two years, two and a half years by the time I'm 40, we will hit 10 million net revenue. And for me, that's my biggest target right now. And then once we've hit 10 million, uh, there's no doubt that we're going to scale to high double digit millions really so that's the plan love that absolutely love that miles um what we're going to do on this part of the podcast is i'm going to fire some quick fire questions at you um try and keep them short as you can um and they're just rapid fire so it's a bit about you a bit about the business so it's, we do this all, all the time on the podcast so if i give you a thousand quid um today and you've got to spend it in the next 24 hours on anything what would you spend a thousand quid on Right, well, I'd, I'd, I'd never spend money on anything. Uh, and it can't go in the business. It, it could, but you've got to spend it all by tomorrow. Uh, I would buy um, Grey Saxoners. Best bit of advice you've ever received? Specialising what you specialise in. Worst bit of advice you've ever received? Money comes and goes like air. So you should spend it because you will always get it back. That didn't help me so much. I like it. Uh, biggest mistake you've ever made? Uh, going onto a radio station for runrug.com, spending 35 grand on a six-week campaign. Um, I don't believe I've brought one sailor. If you could change your profession completely outside of the flooring industry, um, what would it be and why? I'd be a coach. I'd be a business coach um, because I absolutely love business and i love mentoring others it's not on my list but i'm going to ask it um on average on your own personal development what do you spend a month or a year to operate at a higher level approximately oh god um so are you wet this one out 100 pound a month on crossfit 50 pound a month on the gym 150 pound a month on um life coaching £500 a month on a business coach. I'd say that's probably it. So it's about six and a half hundred quid. Is that about right? No, my, my bikes. So yeah, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, five, six hundred quid, maybe. Um, yeah, and there's probably other things as well, but that's pretty much the main things I'd say. Obviously, I need food to survive. <laughs> if you could employ anyone in your business right now, who would it be? No one. I, I wouldn't no employ one. anyone. No. Why is that? 
because I've worked so hard to get such a great team. I've got that great team and dynamics can change a lot. And if I brought someone good in, that'll change the dynamics. I'm not saying it'd be bad, but that's going to be a problem in itself. And therefore, if I brought someone in that was rubbish, why do I want someone that was rubbish? Right now, we've worked so hard uh, to get this team right and the team's right. So for now, at the moment, the only people that we need to employ right now are uh, people to help us do the job. Um, so no, there is no dream employee that I would have. Now, dream shareholders, that's maybe a different story. Uh, and who would that be? <laughs> um, so um, I would say, uh, and I'll say no names, that um, for us to truly scale high, we are going to need um, help and support along the way. And there's things that we could do in maybe 20 years that could maybe be done within three years, maybe even two years. And I believe that um, we own 100% of the company. I own 51% of it. Um, I believe that with the online capabilities that we have, with the uh, increasing knowledge of artificial intelligence, um, with the backing of um, large flooring wholesalers, that want to absolutely uh, take on uh, the online space uh, by going direct to consumer, uh, we are positioned incredibly well. Um, uh, and that basically, so for right now, there is um, uh, there's definitely a plan moving forward, but there isn't necessarily, we've, I've got a lookalike, um, I've got a lookalike shareholder I don't really have a lookalike name. And the reason being for that is uh, there could be that our perfect shareholder might not, right now might not even be in flooring, for example, yet our perfect shareholder uh, moving forward uh, might not even have the ambition to go direct to consumer. Um, and it might be 20 years down the line. But one thing's for sure, we are going to grow. We want to be in many countries, over 150 different countries, and for that to happen, that's going to need some serious investment, some serious stockholding, some serious uh, warehouse and logistic power, and ultimately, I believe, on standing on the shoulders of giants. What flooring have you got fitted at home? I've got LBT all, LBT all downstairs, stick down with underfloor heating, uh, all done properly. I've gone for grey with a bit of a warmish tone, um, and I believe that LBT is the absolute future of uh, mass market flooring in the UK. Um, and it'll be LVT click, but we haven't stick down. Oh, and I've also got uh, a luxurious Saxony uh, in grey across all my rooms upstairs. Um, and uh, I've got ceramic towels in the bathrooms, quartz. Rather, not ceramic, quartz. Brilliant. And one of my last questions, Miles, what's currently holding you back? What's holding me back? Yeah. Um, the oil business doesn't matter. Nothing personally. Uh, personally is good. Um, I've got a really good wife. Uh, behind every successful person, they've got a very strong partner. I've got that in my wife. Uh, my kids are lovely. No issues there. Um, I'm really solid and secure as a person. So there's no shoes there. I'd probably say it's um, it's people and money. By having the right people, we'll be able to grow faster. We have the right people to get the right people costs money there's an investment in people and you don't see the return on investment immediately 
And you've also got to have a really good plan as to why taking these people on. And that's when it goes back down to what I said about the team. We have the team from the top. And we've got a really fantastic partners, uh, whether it be suppliers and flooring or suppliers on the e-commerce side, great partners. And we are growing. We are moving really fast. So I'd probably say at the moment, nothing's holding us back based on what we're doing right now. But we could explode very, very quickly. And ultimately, it's always going to be people that make that, and it's going to be money that is secondary to make that happen. And we're going to be going to Vegas, I believe, in January to the Surfaces show, so the USA's largest flooring show. We do $2 million a year in America, and we've never been there. We have never been there, and it's just came, it's, the orders are just coming to us. So it's a fat market five times bigger than the UK, so therefore we have to go there. But just by going there, what's going to happen there? We're going to naturally probably see opportunity, make relationships. That's what we're big on. We've been building relationships for decades and decades and decades, and that's my job. So um, the only thing that's holding me back is time, I would say. I would say I don't have the time myself as one managing director to push all of the brands right now where they need to go. And if you want the truth, if I'll just give you a quick breakdown, when you've got the retail stores uh, that equate for 53% of our revenue as a company and 47% comes from online. Like we've just been hitting uh, over 100 grand weeks online. Like we've been hit, uh, when retail's difficult, online is flying. So what we need to be doing, we need to be pushing forward with the online journey for runrug.com. The um, retail stores are def- definitely going to be uh, troubling uh, for all retailers across the UK. Um, and when I say it's a worry, it is a worry. And I can maybe talk to you another day about how I plan to get out of it and how we are getting out of it, um, which is marketing, basically. Um, we are um, almost future-proofed with Runrug. So the only thing that's holding us back is time. So if anyone listening to us has time, likes what they're here, they know the people, they have the money, they want to buy into a passionate, flooring, entrepreneurial business, then get in touch. Well, that is exactly the last question of the podcast. How, where do people find you on social platforms or how do people reach out to you? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Miles Shaw, uh, so at M-Y-L-E-S-S-H-W. Facebook, at Miles Shaw. Instagram, at Miles Shaw. TikTok, I think at Shaw Miles. Uh, but generally speaking, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love to uh, talk on LinkedIn. I love to talk anyway. Um, and I just use it for a bit of a, a dump, really. I don't really care if people judge me or not. So follow me on there if you want. Connect with me. Um, and otherwise, I'm in Grimsby. So if you're ever passing by, drop into one of the stores. Well, thank you very much, Miles. Uh, fantastic story. Really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's been lovely. Well done. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is Cockerell and Co. And also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon.